morning. Well, we've missed you guys uh, this past month. We were able to go up and visit with Mandy's fam- with Mandy's parents. Um, they live up in Tennessee, close to outside of Chattanooga. And um, my father-in-law just bought this new property that just sits on the Hiwassee River. It's just beautiful. And uh, so we'd go out in the afternoons. You'd sit out in chairs underneath the shade, watch the river flow by. It's just got a, got a lovely breeze. And uh, he, he also bought some kayaks for us all to, to go down the river. So we, we go up a few miles and set the kayaks in. And he's got a place right there in front of his house where you can just go up and dock. It's, I mean, it's just incredible. You know, so um, one, one night, big kind of a storm had come in, got a lot of rain, and a big tree had fallen down right in front of the area that we normally dock in. And so, but we were planning on going kayaking the next day. So he said, well, don't worry, we'll, we'll go up. There's another little spot that we can get off at. So uh, that day, all of us go out, and, and, and with these kayaks, we've, we've tied some inner tubes to the back of them, and we're pulling Micah and Ellie down this river. And it's, it's really cool, the river, because it, it flows well, but you, you really don't have to kill yourself paddling. Um, but it's also got some, some fun little rapids, but, you know, but it's all manageable. And so we just had a great time. But this day, we're going down, and we're going to pull off right there and dock at this, at this area my father-in-law told us about. So he goes in front of me, and, and he docks. But the turn for me is just a little too quick, and I've, I've got Micah pulling me. So that water starts flowing, and the tube starts going this way. The kayak starts going this way, and I, there ain't no way I'm about to make this dock, okay? So... Um, then my, my father-in-law, you know, he, he's just so helpful. You know, he feels responsible for every one of us. So he jumps in the river, and he starts swimming out there, and he's going to, you know, try and pull us back. But you got to understand, the water is up to about right here on him standing up. So he's trying to pull, and I'm out there just, I'm paddling as hard as I can paddle. You know, but I, basically the only thing I'm doing is staying in the same spot. I'm not going anywhere. The only thing I'm doing, I'm just getting tired paddling. So finally, we both, we both come to the conclusion that this isn't going to work, and we're going to have to go somewhere else. And so we let the river take us down just a little ways, and there's, uh, I'll say, sort of a spot that we kind of have to manage to pull this kayak up a cliff and, and get out, but we made it out. But here's the thing. The father in his kingdom, has a river that is flowing in one direction. And when you and I are in that river, if we turn our kayak around and try and fight against the river of his will, the only thing that is going to happen is you and I are going to wear ourselves out doing it. How many, I mean, how many of you guys have been there where it's like God is just obviously telling you, hey, this is where we're going, this is where we're headed, and you're like, no, I don't want to go that way. I, I'm, I'm trying to cut back this way. And you can paddle, and you might can stay in the same place where you are, but you're not progressing. You're not going back. Because there is a river, there is a way that his river flows. And just like us in that kayak, it is a lot more enjoyable to go down the river in the direction that it's meant to go. And I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, there is a good life that God has for us according to his will. 
But we only, just like in that river, we only get to experience the beauty of that river when we're going in the right direction. This morning, if you'll open up your Bible to Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verses 31 through 33. And, uh, you know, this passage is a very familiar passage to all of us. You know, where, where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us, you know, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust break in, uh, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know, the part there where you can't serve two masters. You know, he also tells us, you know, don't worry about your life. You know, uh, consider the way that the Lord takes care of the birds, the way he decorates the flowers, your fields. And aren't you worth so much more than they? And so this is where he gets here in verse 31. He says this, so don't worry saying, what will we eat? What will, what, do we, what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. This past year, many of you guys know that we, we decided to make a transition or the Lord was calling us to make a transition from Mexico to Peru. And um, through that process, you know, we had a, a, a level of stability in, in Mexico. We had built a life. Our kids had a school. Um, we we kind of knew how things worked. But now we're making this transition, moving to Peru, and I've got a lot of questions. Mandy can tell you all of my questions that I have, and I got a whole bunch of them. You know, where are, what are, where, where are we going to live at? Where are our kids going to go to school? How, you know, how are we going to do this job? All these types of things. And, and really, it, 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 it's just hit me, hit me, hit me hard. And uh, a couple months ago, I was just reading this passage, and something just stuck out to me. It just, just hit me in the face. And I've read it a thousand times, and I'm sure this happens with you guys with passages of Scripture, but this is what he says. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Or I should say it like this. The Father knows what you need. Now, isn't that, isn't that kind of reassuring? Like, God knows exactly what you need in the moment. You know, when you got a newborn baby and they're sitting there screaming, you know, we don't always know what they need. We're like, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And, and we, we got to, you know, go through a list of things to figure it out what it is they need until we finally get it. But our Father knows what we need. And so the main thing that I want us to look at this morning is this, that knowing that the Father provides what we need, we are free to seek first his kingdom. There is a level of freedom that comes with knowing that our Father knows and provides what we need. So the first point that I want us to see here is the Father provides what we need. He provides what we need. Now in this passage, he says, so don't worry. You ever told somebody, don't worry? <laughs> hey, don't worry about that. It's not a big deal. Don't worry. You know, for us, when we say, don't worry, you know, we're just saying something. We, you know, we have no idea. They may have real reason to worry. 
But the Father, Jesus, is saying to us, don't worry. Don't worry. He knows today, and he knows the future, and he knows that he can provide, and he will provide in every single moment. So when he says don't worry, it's not like us when we say, hey, man, don't worry about it. It ain't a big deal. He says don't worry. Now, why do we not need to worry? Because our heavenly Father knows what we need. He knows exactly what we need. Now, as a kid, I didn't worry a whole lot. Man, I was just stress-free, living life. I'd go outside and shoot basketball for hours a day, you know, play with my toys on the floor, torture my brother, you know, all those types of things. I didn't worry about a whole lot. Why? Because my dad provided everything that we needed. My parents did. Now, I have no idea how, and they may have been stressed out all the time, but I didn't know. It didn't matter how they provided it. It just, you know, it just mattered that it happened. So I didn't worry about those things. And my job was to do one thing, to obey and to be their child. That was it. That was all I had to do. And, you know, if you look a little bit further in Matthew chapter 7, you know, Jesus says, um, which of you, if his son asks him for a piece of bread, is going to give him a stone? Or which of you, if his son asks him for a fish, is going to give him a serpent? He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, won't your heavenly Father do so much more for you who ask him? Man, if we can do that for our children, how much more does God and can God provide for what we need? So what does worry, though, what does this type of worry, this type of stressing out about these things, what does it reveal about us? The first thing I think that this kind of worry reveals about us is it reveals what we think we need. It shows what we think we need in the moment. And here's the reality. You and I are preoccupied with whatever we are pursuing right now. We're preoccupied with that. And you see, Jesus, he gives his followers what? He gives them rest, not anxiety. Rest, not anxiety. And so what, what is that thing in your life or things that you think you need? You know, I think here in America, you know, we look at financial success and stability, being able to, what, what is that ultimate thing? Being able to retire one day, you know. That's in front of us, and many people pursue that. Or being able to do the things I like to do. You know, I like to be able to go out and uh, take the boat out. I like to be able to play on the golf course. I, you know, I want to be able to do the things that I like to do. Or maybe it's, you know, being recognized. It's, uh, man, I like for people to say good things about me. I like for people to approve me. I like for people to recognize the new things that I have. You know, it's kind of, but, but, but here's, the, here's this cycle. You know, it's like when you go out and buy, you go out and buy the new iPhone, and you got the new iPhone in your hand, and you feel cool for about a week, and then you realize, you look up, and your your buddy over here, he's got the new new iPhone, and you got the old new iPhone. You know, and so and you're like, "Dadgummit, I was cool for a week, and now I'm not any longer." You know, or or maybe it's a, it, it, it's this type of position and, and and recognition from others that we can, you know, be recognized for something. You know, I think about the former uh, Amazon CEO, Jeff Bezos. You know, he dramatically changed American life, and not just American life, but he changed the world through Amazon. 
But apparently the world wasn't enough, and so he's going to space now. So, I mean, whatever it is, it will never, it never satisfies. It's never enough because there's always something else out there to get. Always. And so it's this never-ending cycle, and we're constantly trying to play keep-up, and we can't do it. And, and we wear ourselves out. We stress ourselves out in the process, worried about it. Um, author and pastor, his name is uh, Steve Cuss. Yes, his name is Steve Cuss. Uh, pastor's name is Steve Cuss. This is what he said. He said that anxiety blocks our awareness of God because it takes our subconscious attention. That anxiety is an early detection system that we're depending on something other than God for our well-being. So, so when anxiety begins to creep in, it needs to be like, like, a, like, a, uh, like a check engine light in your car. Oh, 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 I need, to, I need to go get a diagnostic done, and I need to figure out what is the reason why my check engine light is on. And here's the, here's the thing. You leave check engine light on long enough, what happens? Your car is broke down on the side of the road, and, and sometimes you're, in, you're having to get in some major fixes. And so anxiety is like a check engine light for us. Let's recognize, recognize what's going on. So the first thing that worry reveals about us is it reveals what we think we need right now. The second thing that it reveals is um, it reveals that we believe that what we need and we want is dependent upon our ability or strength. So our success or our lack thereof is a direct result of our ability or strength. And that's the, that's the belief that we have when, when we're in this cycle of worry. That we think that it's all dependent upon us. I've got to make this happen. I've got to accomplish this. If I, if I don't do it, you know, how is this ever going to happen? You know, and, and right now, so Mandy and I, and we, as we live overseas, one of the things that happens is uh, life is a little bit different. Um, many of you who have purchased purchased a home, if you purchase a home at 30 and you have a 30-year mortgage, when do you pay off that home? By 60, you know. Um, as, as a missionary, if you live overseas, you don't have a home. When you come back at 65, you know, it's really hard to get a 30-year mortgage on a home. All right, so those are things that, if I'm not careful, I, I got a temptation. That's a temptation for me to worry about that. Well, how how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this happen? How how's this going to come to be? And then I start thinking, well, man, I gotta I gotta be on this and that, and I and those types of things can distract from what we're really about. So I'm not, and I'm not saying saving or anything like that is a bad thing. I think there's a lot of stuff in Proverbs. That would teach us that it's it's a, it's a positive thing, but that can't control me. That can't consume me. And if I trust God to provide for my needs today, I got to trust Him for tomorrow. the The other thing that worry reveals about us is it reveals what we are believing about God right now in the moment. It reveals what we believe about God. One. We may believe that God is absent or uh, he doesn't care. 
or maybe that God's not good. And how many of us have gone through periods of times of, of frustration towards God where we've questioned those things? Man, I'm right, I'm right there with you. But it reveals what's deep in my heart at the moment that I'm believing about God, that I'm choosing to believe about him right now. But what does trusting God to provide for our needs, what does that look like? One, it looks like working responsibly, okay? Working responsibly. If you see in this passage, you know, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, they don't worry about their food or they don't worry about their growth. But, you know, birds are out, they're out gathering. They're up in the morning. They're out gathering food and they're in that process, but they're not worried about it. You know, flowers that grow, what do they do? They take nutrients from the ground. They take water from the ground. There's an activity that's going on. You know, in, in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat it, you know. So in this kingdom, you know, that we're a part of, it's not sitting around going, hey, I, God's going to provide everything I need. No, we, we're still called to work. We're still called to work. And that work may look like a job with an employer, or it may look like, uh, being at home with children. It, it can look like a lot of different things, but it's work. I'm telling you, anytime I've stayed at home with children, it's been work. And so it could look like a lot of things, but it is work. That our work is done in worship to God. It's not done in worship to ourselves. And we can see the difference in that. The other thing that trusting God to provide our needs looks like is it looks like generosity. It looks like generosity. So I'm, I'm just going to ask a question, and I can ask myself this same question. I'm, I'm, I'm in the boat with you. How has worry affected, affected our financial generosity? How has worry affected our financial generosity today? You know, we say, I'm just, if I do this, I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to be able to have what I need. And I'm just going to say this right now. Um, you know, we live in living in the United States and, and going to other places and seeing. We're not really worried about what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink and what we're going to wear. You know, a lot of times we're more worried about whether or not we're going to be eating filet mignon or hot dogs. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of that, uh, you know, how good are we going to be able to get? But. You know, worry affects those things. It affects me being able to give to my church. It affects me when I see someone in need. And I, you know, we all know when the Holy Spirit begins to talk to us and he begins to say, I want you to help us. And we go, oh, but I was planning on going out to eat tonight and doing this and that, you know. But it's being generous. It's being generous because why? Because we know that everything we have is from the Lord. And we can just give it right back. It's what's ours. And we know he's going to provide our needs tomorrow. Let me ask you another question. How has worry affected your time generosity? How has it affected your time generosity? You start saying, well, I, I won't have time for me. And I'm, man, I'm out there with you. Listen, I love I like to come home at the end of the day, and I like to sit on the couch with Mandy 
and we like to put the kids in bed, and we like to sit down and watch a little something on Netflix and just get the brain wiggling. But, but I can see in myself so many times when I just say, and I know that this person's in need, and they need my help right now, or, you know, there's a way I could be serving through my local church. Man, if I do that, I'm just going to earn the time for me. And it's trusting God, even with our time, saying that God's going to provide what we need when we need it. It looks like praying for what we need. That's what trusting God looks like. It looks like praying for what we need. Confessing that I, I, I don't fully trust this, but I'm trusting you, Lord, and I'm needing help. You know, right now, as we're looking at this new task that we, we're going to have to uh, be working on, um, in Peru, we've got a lot of these different villages that are just scattered throughout Peru. And as we're looking at this job, uh, we've got one other IMB missionary, and we've got a few nationals that we know of that have agreed that they're going to help. And, and, and if anybody here wants to come and help too, we're we're we're, we're uh, you know we're taking applications right now. But but there's a very few of us, and there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of distance. And when we worked in Oaxaca, we had a large team. Everything was pretty centralized in the state. We could focus right in on one area. And now the Lord is just saying to us, you're not going to accomplish this one, Lord. This isn't you. And so it is forcing us to be down on our knees to say, Lord, we can't. We can't. We can't. We don't have what we need, but you do. And he provides what we need. It also looks like thankfulness. Trusting God looks like thankfulness. You know, see, the anxious person is constantly looking at what they don't have. Because why? When you're anxious about a situation, you look at all the bad things that are going on around you. And that anxiety starts to build up. You go, well, I don't have this. I don't have this. I don't have what I need here. I don't have this. I don't have that. But the thankful person begins to see every single thing that comes their way as a gift from the Father. Man, last night, Mandy and I, I picked her up from the airport, and uh, we, were, we were leaving the restaurant afterwards, and we looked up and just see this big moon. It was just that big harvest moon up there. And we were just so thankful. I, I was just so thankful to see it. You know, we're just like, man, God, this is so cool. Look at this. You're letting me see this tonight. Trusting God looks like thankfulness in our hearts. And so, brothers and sisters, as we look at this first thing, we need to rest. Rest in this fact that your Father knows exactly what you need. The Father feeds the birds and He clothes the flower, flowers, and we are more valuable than they. The word in Matthew 6.30, He says that He will do much more for you. It's an exaggeration of more. He's going to do a lot more for you. Trust. You know, in this passage, he also says that the Gentiles eagerly seeks, seek these things. They're eagerly pursuing, you know, this, these material things. Why? What, what, what the Gentiles have to do, a lot of times they would 
uh, in this day and age, they'd worship all these different deities who were not good. They were evil, and they had to prove themselves, and they had to do multiple things to be able to get something. And then you still never knew if you were going to get it. Or today, we live in a, in a society, a materialistic culture that um, basically says, you know, you got to do it all by yourself. You've got to accomplish it. Man, that's going to produce some worry. That's going to produce worry. But the question for us today is, what treasure are we pursuing like he talks about in verse 19 and 20? Are we pursuing treasures here on earth or are we pursuing treasures in heaven? And the only question i got to ask about that is think about this. What is the durability and the enjoyability of the treasure? And what's our frequency? But the second part of this passage, the second point is this, to seek his kingdom. The Father's going to provide what you need. Seek his kingdom. Pursue his kingdom. Live by his righteousness. Our job as believers is to obey his voice and extend his kingdom. Obey his voice and extend his kingdom. The kingdom is God's saving reign through Christ over his people. You know, it reminds me of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and where Daniel's seeing this vision, and he says, And suddenly one like the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that, all, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him, that his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. This is the kingdom that we're pursuing here. A kingdom where we are presenting the Lord to the nations. We're presenting him. We, we, we're making his reign known. Because what we see right now is not really reality. Reality is that Jesus has established his kingdom and he is reigning and his kingdom will endure forever. And his righteousness that we see you know this passage also says seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness you know <clears throat> there's different interpretations on this but i think his righteousness is the countercultural kingdom countercultural kingdom ethic that jesus has been talking about here since since the beginning of chapter five in the sermon on the mount that and how's it countercultural blessed are the poor in spirit Round here in, in Boniface, blessed are the tough. Blessed are the peacemakers, not those who seek revenge. That murder and sexual immorality starts from the heart. Well, I, I've never killed anybody. You keep your word. What you say is what you do. That you go above and beyond for those who don't like you and do bad things to you. You know, I think about that, uh, somebody hits you on the cheek, you know, that's not something maybe we deal with as much. Nobody usually randomly comes up and punches me in the, in the jaw. But I can tell you, people cut me off in traffic all the time. <laughs> and, I can t and, and living overseas has like multiplied my frustration by like a million, okay? Y'all think drivers are bad around here. There's nothing. It's 
okay, somebody cuts me off, the thing that I just instantly want to do is speed up, slam on my brakes right in front of them, or lay on my horn. I, Randy will tell you, I've laid on my horn for at least a minute before somebody just out of pure anger, you know, I just, I just want to pull his hair out. I'm right there with you guys. I'm right there with you. This isn't easy. Go and then he says, you know, give and pray without, without any recognition. Do it without wanting to be known. Then all these things, though, all these things, where do they start? They start in the heart. And, you know, I can grit my teeth and I can do whatever. I can try and change it, but I can't change that heart. It doesn't work that way. I can't, you know, I, I, I might can change my actions a little bit, but I can't control what's going on in here. And that's where, you know, that's where he tells us in, in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're going to be filled. And this is a hunger and thirsting after these things. Lord, I, I don't do this well. I need help. But I'm pursuing that type of holiness in my life. Pursuing his kingdom and pursuing holiness. You see, our role is to be concerned about spreading King Jesus' reign and his politics over all creation. And this reign, it starts with who? It starts with us. It starts with you and me. That the way that we love our spouse and encourage one another in the gospel, the way we treat our kids and lead our children in Christ, the way that we work, the way we treat our neighbor, everything about us should be in joyful submission to King Jesus. That our ultimate purpose as kingdom citizens is to make our king known. That's what we're here for. That's what we live for. That's what we die for, is to make King Jesus known. That. Somebody asks you what your purpose is, that's it. To live and die for King Jesus. That's it. That's what your purpose is. Figure out how he wants you to do it and do it. To seek his kingdom, though, requires what? It requires death to ourselves and what we think we need and what we think we want. And I, 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 man, I'm going to say this, I'm right in the middle of this. I'm just right here. I think that overall, what, I, what I've seen with, with a lot of our American Christianity is this is that we are good with Jesus as Savior, but we would prefer to be Lord. I'm good with him saving me, but I'm, I'd, I'd prefer to be king. I still like calling the shots. And, and guys, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing anybody here. I'm criticizing myself. I'm, right, I'm in that boat with you. That so often we are so distracted by ourselves and getting our own little personal victories that far too often we're losing the game around us because we're not even playing the same game. The reality is, though, we cannot, we cannot experience the good life that is in Christ, and He came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. We can't experience that life apart from death to ourselves. It's impossible. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. He's got to be Savior and Lord. And as another church said it, uh, right before they baptized new believers, they, they asked this question, is Jesus your king? Meaning that you will go wherever he tells you to go and do whatever he tells you to do. 
You see, so often I've, I've been right there that I've believed the lie that by submitting to King Jesus, somehow I'm going to miss out on something. I'm going to miss out on what I need. But your father knows what you need. He knows it and he provides it. You are free to make him fr- to make him king. You are free to pursue the kingdom. You're free to go wherever he calls you to go and do whatever he tells you to do. Because your father's right there and he provides what you need. You're free to risk for the kingdom. And as we seek, we don't have to be worried. Why? We're not we're not serving an earthly politician that's not fulfilling his promises. We're not serving an earthly ruler that doesn't have the resources to give us what we need. We're not serving an earthly king that is not personally available to us at all moments in time. No, we serve a king that can and will fulfill his promises. We serve a king who is creator and ruler of all creation. We serve a king that is personally available to every single one of his subjects at every single moment in time. You see, we're not just subjects, we're sons and daughters of this king. And that changes things. And so here's what I have experienced personally. That what I think I need increases as I remain king. What I think I need increases as I remain king. And when the things that I think I need increase, this is what happens. Worry, anxiety, exhaustion, anger, and complaining. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you can, ask, you can ask my wife right after this, that this has not characterized my life for a lot of last year. Because I thought I needed a lot of things. But the gospel gives us complete freedom to live for him and to die for him because he provides He provides for our every need in life and in death. But even if this short time here is taken away from us in a moment, we know this isn't the end. This isn't the end. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. As we we wrap this up, I want us to stop for a second and just rest in this thought. Have you ever stopped and just meditated on this? Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Breathe. Breathe. This ain't about you. This ain't about you trying to figure it out. Just breathe and rest in that. He knows what you need. But then, is there something in your life? Is there another pursuit that you have that is is preventing you from seeking the kingdom above all? And you know what that is. I don't have to tell you what that is. You know exactly what that is. And I'm just going to tell you, for me, this is is a daily struggle. This is a moment-by-moment struggle to stop and analyze what is the reason, what is the motivation for what I'm doing. And just like Jesus said, take up your cross and die. Take up your cross daily, right? 
that you will not experience the good life in Jesus apart from full surrender to him. If you're here today, though, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, there is a king. His name is Jesus, who is also Savior. He died for you. He rose for you and is currently ruling as king. Come and drink. Come and take hold. Let's drink. I want to finish. It's a, it's a kind of a long poem, but I want to finish with a poem that was written by um, C.T. Shred, who's a missionary in Africa and China. And this is what this is what he wrote in this poem. He said, "Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then, in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life." will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a deep, a, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And th this is the last stanza of this. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be. The lamp of my life has burned for thee. Let's live for that kingdom. Let's live for that day. Trusting him for whatever we need to. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you today. And we thank you.